Xin Nian Kuai Le. Happy Chinese New Year. Apparently, it's the year of the rabbit, uh, the water rabbit. That doesn't mean a lot to me. So, if that means something to you, please come and tell me afterwards. I'll be very interested what that means. I'd like to tell you a story about a young couple called Max and Stacy who go on a cruise. This is their boat. Looks beautiful. Now, this is pre-COVID when you'd actually want to go on a cruise, right? Uh, but they went on a cruise, a four-day cruise on the Mexican Riviera for their honeymoon. That sounds good. However, on day two of the cruise, they woke to the fire alarm and smoke in their corridor. There was a fire in the engine room of the boat, which killed all the power on the ship. So, without power, 4,000 passengers and crew were left stranded, bobbing up and down like a cork in the ocean. Now, without power, there was no electricity, no flushing toilets, and no air ventilation. Just think for a moment what the consequences would be. With no electricity, they weren't able to refrigerate the food or heat the food. And so mealtime required a two-hour lineup for warm milk, warm yogurt, and unheated food. Yum. With no flushing toilets, they overflowed. And human waste began to seep through the walls of the lower deck cabins. So the boat became pretty much a floating portaloo. Uh, Stacy, the new bride, said this. It was very difficult, especially because the smells were unbelievable from the toilets and smoke and rotten food. It seemed like almost every floor we went up was a different odour. The hundreds of bedrooms with no windows were pitch black 24-7 and had air, no air ventilation. And so hundreds of passengers took to sleeping above deck in makeshift tents to get away from the stench and the heat below. Getting their money's worth. The journey hit more glitches when one of the two tugboats that was sent to escort the ship back to shore didn't have enough power to do the job, and so a third tugboat had to be sent out, and they had to wait for that tugboat to come. A four-day trip became an eight-day nightmare. Seven days in those conditions. The ship was to be taken to a Mexican port, but they discovered that right near the port was where the film Titanic was filmed. True story. And so the ocean uh, company, ocean line company, the cruise line company decided better of it, thought better of it. Now, without power... The cruise ship could not function. All right? It was a disaster. It was left stranded. Without power, the tugboat could not do its job. 
Without power, you and I cannot function in the Christian life. We're left stranded. It's a disaster. We just heard in Genesis chapter 4, God spoke to Cain. And what did he say? Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God here is picturing sin as a wild animal that is coiled low, ready to pounce and kill. Perhaps he has in mind Satan in the form of a snake who tempted Adam and Eve in the chapter before, coiled, ready to kill. God is telling us that sin within us is a very real power that wants to rebel against God, that wants to do that which is contrary to God's will, and unless we rule over it, it will rule over us. And you and I do not have the power in and of ourselves to be able to overcome sin. No way. We can't do it. So if we need power, but we don't have the power in and of ourselves, what can we do? How can we rule over sin? Well, this morning, this evening, we're going to see how Jesus ruled over it. And so we can learn how we can rule over it too. And wouldn't 2023 be a good year if we could rule over the sin in our lives? I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read from Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Please be seated. I'd like you to turn your attention to the screen just for a few moments.
If you are the son of God, command that this stone becomes bread. alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If God loves you, throw yourself down. His angels will lift you up in their hands. How dare you put God to the test? If you will bow down and worship me, I will give you the whole world. Crucify him! resists Satan's temptation. Great video, hey? So let's have a look through this story. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You think? Uh, I think it's one of the greatest understatements in the whole of the world, uh, of all time. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was a bit peckish. Uh, I've done the 40-hour famine. Remember the old days when you did the 40-hour famine with World Vision? Anyone done the 40-hour famine? Yeah? I'm not sure if they do it anymore, but I remember I did the 40-hour famine. You get to about 35 hours, and I'm like on my back, uh, groaning, can't move, just eating as many barley sugars as I could. For some reason, you were allowed to eat barley sugars while you were fasting. But can you imagine 40 days? Studies in the British Medical Journal have shown that after 40 days without food, people suffer severe life-threatening symptoms. Jesus' body would have been crying out for food, just a taste, just a nibble, to, to get rid of the pains, to get rid of the cramps, to get rid of the weakness. Now, when I first read that it was the Holy Spirit that led him into the wilderness, I had to kind of read it again. I would have thought the Holy Spirit would lead Jesus away from temptation, right? Not to temptation. 
But what the devil uses as a temptation, God simultaneously uses positively as a test in order to prepare Jesus. You see, Jesus was about to embark on three years of intense ministry, which would end with him being whipped, beaten, crucified on a cross. Jesus resolved to obey God's plan for him must be tested before he sets out. Overcoming the evil one at the outset would prepare him for all he would need to endure in the future. Now, the wilderness is a lonely, deserted, remote place. Right? We know that living in WA. Forty days in a desert facing the scorching heat of the day and the bitter cold of the night, alone with no food, would be no picnic. Right? There's another understatement. Jesus is weak. He's alone. He's vulnerable. In fact, God is putting him in the most vulnerable position he could to face these tests. Later, when Jesus was arrested, everyone deserted him, didn't they? And he was left to deal with the lynch mob, the kangaroo court, beatings and, be and being crucified all on his own. And this testing in the desert helps him to prepare for that. When are you most vulnerable? When you're tired? When you're alone? When you're away on business trips? Away from accountability? It's at these times that you're most vulnerable to Satan's temptations. And that's when you need to be especially on guard. Now, why did Jesus fast for 40 days? Why not 39 days? Why not 41 days? Well, we know that God's people, Israel, were in the desert for 40 years. And Jesus spends 40 days, which is a deeply symbolic representation of Israel's time in the desert. God's son, Israel, was sent into the desert to face trials and be tested. And one of those tests was hunger. And how did Israel do? They failed, they sinned against God, they complained. But now here's Jesus, the Son of God, sent into the desert to be tested with hunger, and Jesus does not fail. He does not succumb in any way. Through his obedience and loyalty, Jesus shows himself to be God's true Son the true Israel, and his perfect obedience makes it possible for you and I to be saved because Jesus' perfect obedience means he's without sin and therefore he is able to sacrifice his sinless self on the cross for sinful humanity and transfer his righteousness to you and to me. Let's keep going in the story. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Now, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with, with turning stone to bread. Jesus knows he can. And later on in the story, we know that Jesus turns five loaves and two fish into a meal that will feed 5,000. So why shouldn't he turn stone to bread here? What is the, what is the nature of the temptation? Well, Satan is saying something like, if you are the son of God, use your divinity 
to satisfy your needs. But if the Son of God used his divine privileges to overcome hardship, it would be the destruction of his entire mission, wouldn't it? Because he came to take on a human nature and to obey God where Adam failed, where we failed, where Israel failed. So through his perfect obedience, he could save us. So that's the nature of the temptation. Now, how does Jesus refute Satan's lies? Well, he goes to the word of God, doesn't he? He goes straight to the truth, the word of God, the sword of the spirit. This is our offensive weapon against Satan's lies. When the evil one tempted Jesus, Jesus didn't say, oh, good one, Satan. Hang on, I've got a really good comeback for you. Hang on, just give me a sec, just give me a sec. Um... It's in the Bible, uh, got something to do with bread. No, Jesus didn't say that, did he? Jesus knew the word. And the word nullified Satan's lies. Do you know God's word? Are you ready for the fight? Verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8, where Moses is speaking to the people of God, and he says to the people, one of the reasons that God sent you into the wilderness was that you would learn that hearing God and obeying God is more important than filling your stomach. And this is what Jesus is saying. Hearing and obeying the word of God, Satan, is more important than filling my stomach and satisfying my needs. If I use my miraculous power right now to satisfy my needs, to satisfy my hunger, then I'm not obeying my heavenly Father who sent me to identify with humans. And it's far more important for me to do my Father's will. How about you? Is doing God's will the most important thing in your life? Then the devil, verse 5, took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So Satan also knows the word of God. He's quoting here, Psalm 91, he's saying to Jesus, hey, I know the Bible too, and I'm going to quote to you Psalm 91. See, Jesus, uh, Satan knows the word, but he doesn't submit to it. There's no point knowing the Bible if you don't do what it says. And here Satan misapplies the Bible. Lots of people quote scripture, but you've got to be really careful that you don't misapply it in a way that will contradict other parts of scripture. What does Psalm 91 say? Psalm 91 is a beautiful psalm which assures believers of God's care for us. Even if we stumble, even if we fall, God will care for us. But it doesn't assure us that he will necessarily care for us if we deliberately put ourselves in harm's way, like jumping off a building. Satan is tempting Jesus to put God to the test. You're the son of God. Jump off. The angels will look after you. God won't let anything happen to you. 
Go on, you'll see. Jesus answered him, It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, if you, got into, if you get into your car and you start driving at 200 kilometers an hour in the rain and you pray, hey God, you say in your word that you will send your angels to protect me, it's presumptuous to expect God to help you in a situation like this which you have chosen for yourself. Demanding miraculous protection as proof of God's care is wrong. The appropriate trust for us throughout life is trust and obedience. The appropriate attitude is trust and obedience. Israel tested God, Jesus refused to, Jesus trusted and he obeyed. Again, verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Now, even at the highest mountain on the earth, you can't see all the kingdoms of the world, so perhaps this is some sort of visionary experience. Keep going, next slide. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, Satan is described in the scriptures as the God of this world. And he has been given certain authority by Almighty God over this world. So what he says here has some truth to it. But Satan has only been given authority for a temporary amount of time. Until he and his wickedness are thrown into hell for all eternity. Now what is the nature of this temptation? Well, immediately before these temptations, Jesus, if you remember what comes immediately before, Jesus is baptised. And when Jesus is baptised, God speaks from heaven. And God says this, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Now this is a combination of two Old Testament passages. From Psalm 2-7, this is my son whom I love. And from Isaiah 42.1, with him I am well pleased. No one had ever put these two together before. No one had ever thought that they should be together. Why? Because Psalm 2 is a royal psalm. It's the psalm that was spoken when the king came to power, when he was anointed with the oil of God's authority. But Isaiah 42 spoke of this strange figure called the suffering servant. And this servant would suffer, he would be afflicted, and then he would take on the iniquity of the world. So no one had ever thought to put these two together. The king who will rule and the servant who will suffer. But God says, Jesus, you're to be both the king and the suffering servant. You will become king by suffering. And this is Satan's temptation. He is telling Jesus, he's offering Jesus to be king without suffering. He's saying, give me your allegiance so you can take a shortcut to kingship without suffering. Now, there would have been a real attraction for Jesus, wouldn't there? To be the rightful king over his world, but yet not having to suffer. To avoid the crown of thorns, 
and to wear the crown of gold. That's the temptation. The Christian life, our life, our Christian life, it, it, it will involve suffering. The Christian life is living the cross now in the hope of resurrection glory. That will come. We are going to be glorified, living in glory forever. But right now we live the cross. And right in our ears every day, there's Satan tempting us. You don't need to suffer. Life's too short to suffer. Who wants to be thought as the bad guy by your colleagues at work by what, because of what you believe? Who wants family members excluding, excluding you because of what you believe? Who wants to give your hard-earned money away every week when you could be spending it on yourself? Stop following Christ. It will all go away. Will you follow Christ no matter how hard it gets? Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. If you keep the first commandment, you won't break any of the other commandments. If you keep the first commandment, you'll never sin. And if you sin, you've already broken the first commandment. The first commandment is the fundamental thing that defines sin. And it's unthinkable for Jesus to break that first commandment. It's unthinkable for him. Away from me, Satan, he says. How about you? Is it unthinkable for you to put anything else before God? Verse 11, then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This word attended here uh, went to the original language. Really interesting Word, the word attended there actually means to serve food. So Jesus had refused food. He had re refused help from the angels if it involved sin, because it involved sin. But now having resisted Satan, the angels come and they give Jesus food. And when we seek first the kingdom of God, we will be rewarded in heaven for all eternity. And the devil left him. Now, the conflict between Jesus and the devil has only just begun. But the pattern of trust and obedience has been established. Jesus has learnt to resist the devil. He's defeated the devil, not by beating him up, but by obeying God. Now, someone might say, yeah, but Jesus was... He wasn't just fully human. He was fully divine. That's why he was able to come, overcome, overcome Satan. We're not fully divine. We can't do that. But it was Jesus' human nature that was tempted. Because his divine nature can't be tempted. We're told in James that God cannot be tempted with evil. And so it's his human nature that is tempted. And Jesus ruled over sin because his human nature was empowered by God's powerful spirit right God in the Hebrew for God's powerful spirit is ruach ruach it's good that no one's sitting in the front row because they'll get spit on it's ruach you can hear that that it's a powerful spirit ruach it's 
That's how Jesus can overcome sin because God's powerful spirit enables him to. So how do you and I rule over sin? Well, we need power. Without power, it is a disaster. We need power, but we don't have it in ourselves. We need God's power. The same power that Jesus had to overcome sin. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. The only way to dispossess the heart of ungodly passions is by the expulsive power of a greater passion, the love for Christ. You see, sin is love out of order. We're meant to love God before all things, but sin is love out of order. We love things more than we love God. When the Apostle Paul writes, describes sinners, this is what he says, in the future they will be sinners are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. It's sin out of order. It's, sorry, sin is love out of order. The Holy Spirit works in us and replaces our love for other things with love for God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. God's Spirit changes us from the inside out. So we want to say yes to God and no to sin. And as I become smitten with the beauty of Christ, I will not want to do anything that will offend the one that died for me and the one that loves me that much. In order for us to tap into God's power that is available to us, we need to act. We need to act. So firstly, we ask God to dispossess us of those old affections and to fill us with new ones. He wants us to ask. Remember what Jesus said. Even you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? When was the last time you asked God to give you the Spirit? Ask him to dispossess you of your old affections and to give you a new affection. The second thing we do when we act is that we confess. We confess our weak affections for God and that our, the tendency of our hearts to wander away wander after other things. We confess. And then thirdly, we take steps to connect to the power source. We take steps to connect to our power source. And this begins with discipline, which leads to desire, which leads to delight. Let me explain that as we finish. How do boxers prepare for a fight? Ever done any boxing training? How do boxers prepare for a fight? Eli, you've done some boxing training. What do they do? They get up at 5 o'clock. They go for a 15-kilometer run. They then come back and they do an hour of skipping. They then do an hour on the speedball. They then do a couple of hours of sparring. They then do a couple of hours of core work, smashing that medicine ball on their guts. When's your next fight? I don't know then why are you doing all this training if you don't know when your next fight is? 
because I know there'll be a fight coming sometime soon. I don't know when, but I'm going to train hard every day so when it does come, I'm going to be ready. See, it's the same with you when it comes to temptation. When's your next temptation coming? I don't know, but I know it's coming. And so I'm going to connect to the power source, the word of God, and I'm going to pray. So when the temptation comes, I'm going to be ready. Right? We don't know when the next fight's coming, but we know it's coming. You and I are in a very real fight against sin and against Satan. And Satan is constantly trying to get through our defenses. It doesn't matter how good we were in the last fight, there's another fight coming. We don't know when that will be. So we keep connecting to God's power source, to his word. We keep praying so we're ready when that next fight comes. See, our body wants to fall back to its default position, which is to sin. Sin is like our comfort food, right? Our body loves it. For some people, it's alcohol. For some people, it's gambling. For some people, it's porn. For some people, it's spending money all the time. And we fall back to our comfort food, especially when we're not connecting with God. A fighter doesn't start off disciplined, but they train every day until they get into a routine, right? When, when a fighter starts and they've got to get up at five o'clock, right? They set their alarm for five o'clock on the first day, alarm goes off and they're like, Oh my goodness, there's no way I'm getting up now, right? But within a few weeks, they can throw their alarm clock away. You and I are not able to fight sin unless we're constantly connecting to the power source, to God's word, to prayer. And as we have a disciplined plan to repeatedly expose ourselves to the power source, that discipline... The, the discipline, sometime, somewhere in a window of time, that discipline will become desire. And that desire will become delight. And the Holy Spirit will replace our love for other things with a love for Christ. And then sin won't rule over us, but we will rule over it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to acknowledge that sin is real in this world and it's powerful and Lord, we want to rule over it and we thank you that you've given us your power so that we might rule over it. But Lord, we, don't, we struggle. We struggle with it. I want to pray for each person here tonight you may be here today and you're really struggling with sin right now but you're trying to do it on your own you haven't tapped into God's power source the only thing that can help you rule over sin and I want to pray that we would act Lord we ask you to dispossess our old affections with affection for you we confess that our affections for you are often weak and our hearts will often wander after other things, Lord. And as a result, we know in our own lives that sin is bringing us down. 
And so, Lord, we want to commit to connecting to the power source that you've given us, to the sword of the Spirit, to prayer. We want to commit to that, Lord. And as we discipline ourselves to expose ourselves to your word, I pray, Lord, for each person here that this discipline will somewhere in the window of time lead to desire, which will lead to delight. And that you would dispossess our old affections with the expulsive power of a new love for Christ and for you that will enable us to rule over sin. I pray for each person here this evening. For those who are really struggling, I pray, Lord God, that we would take this to heart. I pray, Lord, that you would give them the power to overcome that in their lives, that which is bringing them down. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.